And so as for God's people here, it's the same for us. You can't just sit there. Good morning to you. A very warm welcome. It is great to gather each and every Friday, whether you are just visiting for a week or two, whether you've been here for many, many years. Uh, It's great to be together this Friday. It's great to be together every Friday. Uh, We are going to start and end this morning with with a little video, one to kind of set the scene uh, for where we're going in Esther chapter 8, and one to share a testimony. Uh, so first then, I just want to show you, it's about a minute or two long, uh, a video of a guy called Larry Walters. If you are American, and if you're of a certain vintage, you might possibly remember this happening in real life. Uh, but for those, of, for those of us that are not American and far too young uh, to have seen this, She's been a bit hysterical. Get down here now. <laughs> and then he dropped his glasses and she's like, well, you've got to come down. You've got your glasses. Like, I've got my second pair. Uh, so, <laughs> soon, soon after Larry landed, uh, after shooting out some of his balloons with a BB gun, which seems like wildly uh, optimistic that, that was going to work. Apparently, he landed safely. He was given a citation by the police, which I guess is like an American telling off. Oh, like a fine. Okay, good. Anyway, so he was fined by the police. Uh, and they asked him, <laughs> Is it? He said, yes. Would you do it again? He said, no. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> why did you do it? And he said, because you can't just sit there. You've got to be doing some stuff. You can't just sit there. Like Larry, uh, <laughs> the life that we're living individually and together as a church is one big and lots of little opportunities to do something. Now, hopefully, you're not going to strap yourself to some uh, helium balloons and try and fly away. Uh, I don't think local authorities would find it as amusing as the Americans did, especially if you're in the air with a BB gun. Uh, (laughs) So maybe don't try that. But the opportunities that Larry had, he obviously had access to a chair, some balloons, and some helium. Uh, He took that opportunity, and it's the same thing that we're going to see in Esther chapter 8, and it's the same thing, uh, kind of, I guess, with uh, the testimony that we'll share. Although, Elena, if you left that bit out of your testimony, then we'll definitely get it in there next time, if you've flown away in a helium balloon chair. Uh, So we'd be forgiven for thinking that now Haman is out of the way. Uh, Last week in Esther 7, that everything's going to be fine. You know, the big adversary has been removed, and so therefore now life is going to be great. But the decree to, uh, to kill all of the Jews in the empire all the way uh, from India to Ethiopia. We've said there were like 15 million people still decreed uh, to die. And that is still very, very valid. But we'd be forgiven for thinking that everything's fine. But this law still stands that has pronounced death on the people. So as we move through Esther at chapter 8, uh, we'll see the immediate aftermath of what happened and then how the people... Uh, well, what they do in the face of still having death pronounced against them. So, uh, if you've not done so already, I'd love you to join me in Esther chapter 8. We've got two more weeks after today in Esther, and then we'll begin our build-up, our preparation for Easter. Uh, but e- uh, Easter, Esther, this week. Chapter 8, we'll read uh, from verses 1 and 2. Uh, and we see this is the immediate aftermath. The king gives the estate of Haman to Esther. Mordecai had come into the room 
in the meantime, and Esther has revealed to the king their connection. Because up until now, in the mind of the king, Mordecai is a great guy who saved him from death. Esther is the queen, and there's no relation between them. Esther's now told him of their connection. Uh, and the king took the ring from Haman, gave it to Mordecai. So Mordecai is now that, that prime minister, the, the highest official in the kingdom. So he's had a, quite a good morning so far. Esther installed him in charge of Haman's estate, which is the exact opposite of what Haman had planned. He'd planned destruction and death for the Jews. Uh, and then he was going to look after all of their stuff, take all of their stuff. Remember we said that it's very, very likely that's where he planned to get the money from that he's donated to the king to further his cause of killing all the Jews. So the immediate aftermath is that the king now knows of the connection between Esther and Mordecai. And Mordecai is now the number one in the kingdom. And then following that, in verses 3 to 6, Esther then speaks to the king, and we're looking for a solution. So we're going to read that together from verse 3. Then Esther again spoke with the king, falling at his feet. She wept and begged him for mercy, that he might nullify the evil of Haman the Agagite and the plot that he had intended against the Jews. When the king extended to Esther the gold scepter, she arose and stood before the king. She said, if the king is so inclined, and if I have met with his approval, and if the matter is agreeable to the king, and if I am attractive to him, let an edict be written rescinding those recorded intentions of Haman, the son of Hamadath the Agagite, which he wrote in order to destroy the Jews who are throughout all the king's provinces. For how can I watch the calamity that will befall my people? And how can I watch the destruction of my relatives? And so she speaks to the king. And the solution that she, she wants, the conclusion that she wants, that he nullifies the evil of Haman the Agagite. Cancel his plans. And initially the king extends that scepter to her. He's, he's positively receiving her and her request. And then so Esther kind of unpacks this. She gives a fourfold introduction for her plea. She gives four reasons why the king should really consider cancelling the plans of Haman and putting some new plans in place. Now this is really, again, very, very wise of her, given that she'd already been received positively. She's had the, that golden scepter extended. He has welcomed her into his presence. She knows that, and she's now going to build on that. So she says, she knows that she's been received positively. So she knows already that, yes, the king is inclined to her request. She knows that, yes, she has met with his approval. She knows that because he's extended that scepter. The second two are a little bit more speculative, but maybe recent interactions with her husband have emboldened her. She says, if it's agreeable to the king and if I'm attractive to him, if all of these things are good with you, then we would like uh, an edict to be written that cancels Haman's plans. You know, the, the death and destruction for the Jews that were sort of nine, ten months in the future at the end of the year, we want to cancel those plans. And she says, how can I watch this happen to my people? Remember last week, she thoroughly identified herself with the Jews in the kingdom. How can I watch this happen to my people? And how can I just sit by and watch the destruction of my relatives? And so in theory, it's very, very simple. She's met with the approval of the king, and this is what she's asking. He said a few times to her, you know, what do you want? I'll do it. What do you need? Up to half the kingdom. But the problem is, 
How are the people going to be preserved? How are the people going to be saved when a decree of the king, when the word of the king, when the law of the king cannot be revoked? Esther 1.19 says, the laws of Persia and Media cannot be repealed. And we said, uh, maybe a few weeks ago now, once the king puts something into law, his word is law. And so it cannot be cancelled. It cannot be rolled back. It can't be written off. It's the same uh, as we read in Daniel chapter 6. Now let the king issue a written interdict so that it cannot be altered according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be changed. So Esther's presented this solution, this request to the king, but the problem remains, how can the people be saved when a decree of the king cannot be revoked? And this is kind of what we see in verses 7 to 10. The king then replies to Esther and to Mordecai, and he says, look, I've given Haman's estate to Esther. He's been hanged because of what he did against the Jews. So, and in addition to what we've already done, he says in verse 8, write in the king's name whatever you think is appropriate concerning the Jews. Seal it with the king's ring, because anything written in the name of the king and sealed with his ring cannot be rescinded. And so Esther says we want this to be cancelled. The plans that are in place, we want those to be, to be written off. And he says, well, I can't. I can't do that. Anything that I've put into law cannot be revoked. We can't just scrap it. Because we don't like it anymore. But here's the ring and sign it in my name and give it all the stamps and the ticks and everything that proves it's from me and replace it if you want. Supersede it with a new agreement. And so scribes are summoned and we get a, a date stamp. This is a few months away. Uh, they write out everything that Mordecai instructs. Uh, it goes off to all the officials, again, all the way from India to Ethiopia. 127 provinces. Everybody gets it in their own language, so nobody's going to misunderstand to the Jews in their own language. Mordecai writes everything in the name of the king, seals it with his ring, and these letters go out. And so the, that problem of things written in the king's name and sealed with his ring cannot be rescinded is still, is still there. That pronouncement of death for all the Jews in his kingdom is still valid. And things written in the king's name, laws pronounced by him, by the sovereign, can't just be scrapped because we feel differently about them. And if we think about it, nor should they really. None of us want to live or work under leadership at any level. You know, going to work Sunday to Thursday the national leadership that we live under, and anywhere in between. None of us want to live under leadership at any level that kind of flip-flops around and changes their mind more often than the weather. And so the solution is that the old first directive, that first pronouncement, his first word on the matter, his first law, cannot be revoked, but it can be replaced. And then as we continue to read from 11 to 17, here is his decision. Here is now the replacement. So the king allows the Jews in every city to assemble and to defend themselves. So instead of cancelling that first law that's pronounced death for you all, because in his mind, 
because he was convinced that way, because in his mind they deserved it. So here's a law decreeing death for you all. We're not going to pull that back because it's still very valid. It's come from the sovereign. Instead, here's a second edict. Here's a second pronouncement from the king that allows you all to stand up for yourselves, to defend yourselves and the details there, to destroy, to kill, to annihilate anybody that comes up against you in, in their entirety and to take their property, as was pronounced against you in the first place. And again, this was to be on a certain day throughout all the provinces, and we get that day and that date there. And a copy of this was sent as law through all the provinces, all his kingdom, made known to all the peoples, so that the Jews might be prepared on that day to avenge themselves, we read. And this goes out through the kingdom, no delay, Mordecai then leaves wearing the Persian royal colors of blue and white. He's got a great big gold crown and he's wearing that luxurious royal color of purple. Everybody's really pleased with this new pronouncement. The city shouts with joy, we read. The Jews were happy and joyful, as is everybody that hears this news. Banquets and holidays and all that good stuff. And then we read again with the last verse of the chapter, again really interestingly, Many people pretended to be Jews because of the fear of the Jews had come over them. Many people pretend to be part of the good stuff when it suits them. But until that second pronouncement was made, and for you lot, it's death, nobody would have pretended to be a Jew. And now they're on the, going to be on the winning side. Now there's the chance for them to avoid death, and it's, everybody's thrilled with that. Many people are pretending to be part of it all. So the big idea here, the big truth coming out of Esther 8, is that the king cannot revoke or cancel his word, his law. Once it goes forth from him, it is, it is binding. He is in charge. He is the sovereign. And what he says goes. But he has given provision that supersedes this old law, this old and the provision in the new pronouncement gives the people the opportunity. It's not automatic. He gives them the opportunity to be saved. And he gives them the opportunity for deliverance. It doesn't automatically save them. He didn't write, don't you dare touch any of the Jews in my kingdom. They're all saved. Magic. He provides provision. He gives them the opportunity, the option for them to step into what he's saying and to save, be saved from death, to claim his provision for themselves based on what he has done as the sovereign. Look there with me at verse 11. The king, the sovereign, the ruler, the one whose word cannot be revoked, allows the people to assemble and to stand up for themselves. Notice with me, it is not automatic salvation. King says, you're all great. You're all saved, snatched from death to life. He's given them the opportunity to claim deliverance for themselves. Think about Larry and his balloons. You can't just sit there. This is not automatic. This doesn't rain down upon you like air conditioning on a hot day. They've got to do something with this. This is not automatic. They've got to do something with what is 
available to them. And now again, we look at this and we would be forgiven, given our journey through Esther, that we would be forgiven for thinking that now Haman is out of the way, all those awful plans that he had for God's people have died with him. But it's not. The, the decree for death came from the sovereign. And it's the same in our world, in our lives now. We know that in dying on the cross and raising from the grave, Jesus defeated death. Death has been defeated. It's a truth that we, we worship and we sing with so often. Death has been defeated. Jesus was raised to newness of life. Amen? But what about us? We have still got to deal with and somehow get around the decree of a righteous and holy God that says the soul who sins shall die in Ezekiel 18. The soul who sins is the one who will die. And now this is not a hand-raising moment. How many of you have sinned? Because scripture tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin is death. The soul who sins shall die. And so in our sins, each and every one of us has a legal decree from a righteous God standing against us. The soul who sins is the one who will die. God's law, God's holy and righteous and perfect law, when we break it, pronounces death upon us. This is the decree of a righteous God against his creation that sins against him. And we've all got that coming to us. Like the people in Esther 8. But, Scripture also tells us that in his great love for humanity, in that same chapter in Ezekiel, God desires that everybody avoid the death. His law pronounces death for us. But in his heart, in his great love for us, Scripture tells us he desires life for us, that none perish, that all of us Avoid eternal death and separation from him. Yes, we all face a physical death. But we're thinking bigger picture. We're thinking the wages of sin is death. Separation forever from God. But that same chapter in Ezekiel says that in his law, death is pronounced. But in his heart, he earnestly desires for us to be saved. Ezekiel 18 says, I've, I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Sovereign Lord. Repent and live. God is not indifferent to the plight of lost humanity I read this week. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And so the law says death. His heart wants life for you. And how do we reconcile this? How do we go from law pronouncing death to the life that God wants for us? Well, really, really simply, 
we don't reconcile this problem. God has already solved this problem. This is not for us to get together, to, to think about, to brainstorm about, get in a working group, and we'll theorize about it, and we'll test it. We don't need to do anything. God solves this problem not in any way by compromising his law, by compromising his decree for justice, for holiness, for righteousness, not by removing his law as he as Xerxes could not, would not, will never not remove the old law that pronounces death. God solves this problem not by removing his law, not by revoking it, not by scrapping it because he's changed his mind. His word stands as true today as it always has. The righteous requirement that it puts on people is still that righteous requirement, but in superseding it, as Hebrews 8.13 tells us, God solves this problem not by removing his law, but by fulfilling it himself. By taking the punishment, the death that we deserved, as Isaiah 53 tells us. How is this, how is this unbalanced equation reconciled? God's provision in the person and the work of Jesus takes us from law that pronounces death to his heart that wants life for us. And Romans 3 tells us this happens so that God could be both at the same time holy and righteous and just and the justifier of the person who has faith in Jesus. And so in the same way as the king here in Esther 8, God has not written off any of his word. Just like the people here, if they chose to go it alone without this second decree of the king, they would be left completely in their own power and strength to just welcome the death that was pronounced against them. In the, so in the same way as the king here, God has not written off any of his word. If we want to go it alone, we're bound by every single one of the holy and righteous and just requirements and we will never, ever, ever keep to them. So God hasn't compromised on any of his righteousness, any of his holiness, but in his great love for us, has now given for you and for me, if you want to take it, like the people here, has given the provision, the opportunity to be saved from death by putting your faith in Jesus. And so as the Jews here needed to take hold of this sovereign declaration in order to be saved, it wasn't magic, it, didn't, it wasn't written and therefore magically protected them from what was coming. So we too need to take hold of the provision given to us in Jesus. Think about Larry and his balloons again. You just can't sit there. This is not magic. Just because Jesus came and died and rose, that doesn't mean that we're all magically saved now. Affirming that it happened Reading, hearing, being told that it happened doesn't magically now save everybody. That's not what scripture teaches. That's not how it works. With Larry and his balloons, we can't just sit there. This is not magic. Can't spray everybody and be done. Romans 10 tells us, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, 
one believes and thus has righteousness. And with the mouth one confesses and thus has salvation. Scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. There is no distinction anymore between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, who richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We can't just sit there and wait for this to magically happen for us. Hearing about it, affirming that it happened, I believe, I acknowledge that Jesus was a real person. I'm satisfied with the extra-biblical evidence that people were crucified. The veracity and the authenticity of Scripture that says that he lived and that he died. I'm, I'm happy with it all. I accept it all. We can't just sit there and, and hear it and, and see it and be told about it every Friday. And it magically applies to us. As Paul writes to the Romans there, we need to actually, individually, in our own lives, believe in it. Confess it. Which means making those public and very physical, often, declarations. A confession, showing, saying something. Last week we took communion, one way of doing it. Being baptized is another. Physically identifying yourself with the death and the life of Jesus. We believe it, we confess it, we take it, and we put it to work in every area of our life, as Paul writes. Paul writes, work out your own salvation with awe and reverence. That doesn't mean you go and fight the battle yourself and save yourself from death, but it means you take what God has given you and you do something with it. God's people here in Esther 8 were given the provision, the opportunity from the sovereign to live and not die. They had to do something with it. They had to claim it, take it, and put it to work in their own lives. And it's exactly the same for you and for me. No, we're not ganging together and sword fighting people that want to kill us. But as Larry said, you can't just sit there. We need to take hold in our own lives individually. We can't do this for you. We can do this with you. But we can't do this for you. We need to take hold of what is freely offered to you. What is by grace given to you. That opportunity of forgiveness. Of being restored. Of life. Eternal. And as we get into Esther chapter 9 next week. Spoiler if you've never read it. They do take hold of what was offered to them. I know you've all read it though. I know you've all read through the Bible. We talked through this in 2020 with the devotional, so I know you've all read it anyway. But if you've not, spoiler, they do take hold of what was offered to them, that offer of life, not death. And it's the same for us, to take hold of what is freely and by grace given redemption that comes through the provision of the king. And God offers you the same. I would urge you to take it and to use it. Don't expect that this will just happen to you or happen for you. You know, you know in your own heart, you know in your own mind if you've truly accepted this. You know if this is you or not. You know if you did this a long time ago. 
You know if you're working through that process at the moment. You know if you're so much like one of the people in Esther 8 where you've just received this decree and it's, there's life on offer instead of death. You know where you're at with this. And I would urge you to take it and to use it. Don't expect that just because you come to church now and again, just because you grew up in a Christian house, in a nominally Christian country, that, well... I'm part of the people. It doesn't work like that anymore. This new covenant, the new provision is there for us, but we all must individually take it. And it gives us full reconciliation. It gives us full forgiveness. And it's there. It's on offer for you. The provision that God has given in Christ for all who respond and take it. And I read this week, if you understand, if you accept that you are hopelessly in bondage to your sin. And if you therefore sense, if you know, if you accept, if you affirm your desperate need for God's grace, well then simply ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. As we read in John 6, those who come in will then not be cast out. And so as for God's people here, it's the same for us. You can't just sit there. I would urge you to take hold of what is freely and by grace given to you by God. The offer of forgiveness, of being restored, the offer of everything you need for a full and abundant and wonderful life. And ultimately, I would urge you to take hold of life eternal. Amen? And so like I said, we're, we're, we are these people. The provision is there for us in the person and the work of Jesus. And you know where you're at on that scale. If you've, for the first time this morning, hearing about this provision that's there for you, if you accepted it a long time ago and you're old enough to have seen Larry on the news in real life, we're all on that, uh, that, that line somewhere. We're all in that uh, journey somewhere. If today is the very, very first time, if, if you know that you want to take hold of it, we'd love to talk to you uh, to pray with you afterwards. But as Larry said, you can't just sit there. And so we're going to close this morning with a testimony. We're going to share a testimony.